Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 61. This is part one of Josh's interview with Arvind Nagarajan, the managing director of the Pearson Affordable Learning Fund. Arvind talked about wins and losses they've experienced in their first few years and how financial and strategic goals interact and affect the success of the organization. Hi there, everyone. I'm Victory, the producer of Inside Outside Innovation, the podcast that brings you the latest insights from people who know the most about building lean businesses, innovating within corporations, and disrupting entire industries with passion and precision. just so that everybody at least gets on a similar page on what Pearson is. What are some of the products and services that people might know Pearson for? Yes. So Pearson's best known for their textbooks and their assessments. So they're they're part of, you know, they they do a lot of the textbooks in K-12 as well as higher ed. And so if you've been through the American education system, you've likely used Pearson textbooks along the way. Um, they're also a part, they have a assessment business. So if you've gone to um, get your MBA and you've taken a, a, the GMAT, you've done that at a Pearson testing center. But they really do, it's a company that has grown significantly through acquisitions. So they have a lot of different products and services across the educational space. A high level overview, what is the Pearson Affordable Learning Fund? Uh, the, Pearson, the Pearson Affordable Learning Fund, if it's easier, we often go by PALF. Ah, perfect. Um, What's the PALF? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so the PALF is, is a corporate venture capital fund with really a couple different goals. So it's part of Pearson, which is the world's largest education company. And we invest in education entrepreneurs across emerging markets. And we look for entrepreneurs that we believe can do three things. One is deliver significant commercial financial returns. We're a financially oriented investor as opposed to more strategic from from a Pearson standpoint. Secondly, we look for companies that can deliver a significantly higher quality of education than current alternatives. We think that education outcomes are directly linked to profitability in the long run in education. And then third is we're looking at approaches that can reach the mass market. Pearson's products and services traditionally have have not reached the mass market populations across emerging markets. And it's something that from us, uh, from a corporate venture capital standpoint, it, looking to understand the business models and ways in which uh, you can successfully serve those customer segments. When did the PALF get started? The PALF was started in 2012, uh, in April 2012. So it's coming up on five years now. Okay. And what have been some wins and, and failures that you're open to sharing at least, Arvin? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the overall win is, I mean, we've made 10 investments that operate across seven countries that are reaching over 400,000 students right now. There's been quite exceptional top line growth for our companies. They've raised follow on financing. So we've had a lot of successes within our portfolio and the types of investments we've made and in creating a space where people are now evaluating education in emerging markets. Uh, a lot more investors are evaluating that space than were when we started five years ago. Um, that's that's the big picture win, I'd say. There have been a lot of setbacks along the way, I'd say. So I'm happy to go into more detail on any of them, but we've had uh, undergo kind of leadership transitions within specific portfolio companies. We've made investments that were probably not the right size for the fund and scope that we are looking at. So it's been has been tougher to manage. 
I mean, we're trying to be a global education expert, provide expertise around education, business models, and strategy. And so it can get tougher when you, you know, if you don't have the right geographic investor as a complement and you're, you know, you're, you're writing very small checks. Sure. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned that the fund's focus is primarily uh, financial driven and not as much a strategic, right? It, it, this isn't just about channel development for more Pearson products. Yes. So, yeah, it, that's right. So Pearson... It's kind of a big picture strategy, which is to say that's why our focus is on emerging markets and the mass market there. But from an individual investment standpoint, I think one of the things that has been good is you have to avoid from a corporate venture cap, especially we make Series A investments primarily. At that early stage, if you're more strategically linked, it can be really tough for portfolio companies um, because it limits their exit options and the ability that they have to raise financing from different places. And so it's good to have that really strong separation there where we're making a financially oriented decision in terms of where we think this company has the potential in seven to 10 years. And in so doing in a portfolio manner, we're going to learn about how you serve emerging markets effectively, you know, regardless of whether individual investments make strategic sense for Pearson. I want to go down that trail for a second. And how do you figure out how to get some of that information and education uh, that you're learning through these investments? back to potentially other parts of the corporation uh, that might benefit from understanding any of the trends or research that you're stumbling across? Yeah, um, I mean, that's been one of the things we're, we're learning and getting better at as a fund. I think there, there's a couple avenues. So one is we're constantly trying to, you know, as an education organization, internally, we're trying to drive our own learnings. So we try to publish different things that we're learning about where we see trends in the space are going, what we're learning from how our portfolio companies are operating. So this is like how ed tech works and doesn't in the classroom. Or, you know, I, I published a paper last year on how the inner workings of affordable private schools, so how you operate them effectively and some, what are some of the benchmarks. So that's that goes out into the ecosystem. And then what we use that as a platform for is those become kind of the focal points for conversations within Pearson across different business units. So we have a global schools division or a global product organization where we can start to have conversations with their product teams around what are the synergies here? What are some of the insights that could be could be relevant for the broader business? I think we still need to get better at that, frankly, but I think the potential is really there. And now that you have companies that have been in the portfolio four years, three years, you know, and raising, getting to a little bit more scale. Um, I think that becomes more and more important. I, I want to talk a, a little bit more again about the strategic versus the financial or not even the versus, but sometimes the and uh, of those two things. In venture funds where it's purely about financial and there isn't as much of the strategic play, I, I think you can many times have a little bit more rigorous analysis of, of when it's time to double down and when it's time to uh, cut your losses, et cetera. But still having that lingering, there might be a strategic benefit uh, at all to the investment of these does that at all hamper or, or cloud at all what uh, maybe leaders or other people are checking in on in terms of, from a governance standpoint, understanding the overall success of PALF or being able to keep those clear cut? Yes. So it's pretty clear cut. We have an investment committee that we bring investment decisions to, and we're judged on the financial performance of the company. So they evaluate them in terms of you know, marking them to market and saying, here's how the, comp here's how the fund has performed. So there's there are situations where we've 
participated more than our pro rata because we're really doubling down on a company that we see as as really financially out delivering. And we've stepped back and said, hey, we're not we're not going to participate in this round because we're not providing bridge financing or, or really providing some some tough feedback to companies because of financially. So it's not something that even enters the calculus when we're evaluating that decision. I think that's fair. And I think uh, especially some of our listeners are groups that are working on establishing their first venture capital arm that I think that what I'm hearing is that you need to be extremely clear about what the goals are and what the aims are. Because if you're not out of the gate, it can be extremely fuzzy, especially once you get into it a few years down the road. Yes, it took a little bit of learning from us internally. So where we came to, for example, like making investment decisions, the element of strategy is like we give some deference to the geographic leader. So if we're looking at a business in India, we'll talk to the MD of the India business. And if he or she believes that that's competitive or somehow a threat to Pearson's strategy in the region, we won't invest. So there's no affirmative, you know, there's no affirmative strategic analysis that's done, but we give kind of a veto analysis, if that makes sense, so that, um, you know, they at least understand the companies that we're evaluating and have a chance to for their feedback. They don't feel like we're doing something antithetical to, you know, the approach within the business. But that's took a little while to kind of iron out how those details work when they would input into the process. So let's talk a little bit about the types of entities that you're investing in. Uh, you mentioned a couple of their aims, but but just for our listeners here, uh, paint a picture. What what do these for-profit, private, affordable private chain schools look like? What, what are you actually investing in? Yes, great. So so there's really two big buckets that we invest in. One is what we call direct delivery, which means you have a direct touch point with the student, um, and they're paying you. You know, often the parent is paying you directly. That is often takes the shape of an affordable private school, or it could take the shape of a tutoring center after school. Uh, And so a couple examples of that are, we invested in the Spark schools in South Africa, and they're Africa's first blended learning primary school chain. They're based off of the rocket ship model in California, which is a very successful charter school model there. Uh, And so they leverage technology to create better cost efficiency. So they have a learning lab where students spend over an hour a day uh, with a lower cost learning facilitator. And then their really what they call master teacher time can be leveraged more effectively across smaller groups of students. And the learning gains have been incredible, and they've had really successful demand as a result of the the model that they've set up. And then a non-school example of that is we've invested in a company in India called Avanti, which does test prep for the biggest college entrance exam in the world. So it's uh, an exam that a million students take for 10,000 spots at the elite universities in India, the elite engineering universities. And, you know, what you find is that exam is so rigorous and so competitive that those with uh, wealth often have two to three years of private tutoring to prepare for that exam. And there's very high cost like tutoring centers that have set up around this. And the founders here had a really unique approach where they took uh, essentially a flipped classroom. So there's high quality lectures from great professors online. And then they come to the class and, and actually go through what's called a peer learning process where they're learning from each other through questions that are designed to elicit uh, elicit good feedback. And the results have been phenomenal, where 1% of students clear that exam for, for entrance into the top-level engineering colleges. 15% of Avanti students are clearing that exam. And, and they're really being able to grow fantastically as a result. 
And then the second bucket that we invest in is what we call services. So those that are providing courseware content, some sort of targeted pedagogy to that ecosystem of, of schools or, or centers. And so an example there is we've invested in an English language learning program uh, in India that is a, a very innovative form of creating immersive environments of learning English in the classroom. And they've been able to reach over 200,000 students in, in over 2,000 schools through this, uh, through this pedagogy. And so we know English is very much viewed as a pathway out of poverty in, in many of these markets. And it's a challenge because teachers often aren't completely fluent themselves. So you have to find ways to deliver that instruction effectively. And they've, they've been able to do so really, really well. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. We'd love to connect with you through Twitter at the IO Podcast or on our website, insideoutside.io. If you've got a topic or area you'd like us to dig into, let us know because we'd love to share our insights and invite other experts like Arvin onto the show so that they can share theirs. Until next time, go out and innovate.